Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Choir Fam Podcast. I'm Dean Leafy, the Director of Choral Activities at Washington State University. And I'm Matthew Myers, the Coordinator of Choral Music Education at Washington State University. In our discussions about the current state of choral music and what it will look like in the future, we agreed that more conversations need to happen to bring the choral community together. And that's why we're here. We bring guests from the Worldwide Choir Fam onto the show to share their wisdom and help make our choral world a little bit closer. By speaking with our guests, we hope to provide interesting tidbits of knowledge you could use in your day-to-day rehearsals and give you a sense for how issues that matter to all of us are being observed and addressed. We hope you'll enjoy these conversations as we work to strengthen our choral community. Welcome to the Choir Fan. So how are you doing today, Matt? Oh, doing pretty well. Just had the last choir rehearsal of the semester. Um, it was a very fun day. We had a little gift exchange, and I stole a WSU pillow from a student in the gift exchange. Ooh. So, yeah, I feel like oh. I came away as a winner. Uh, <laughs> feelings allowed in this game. Um, and we did some affirmations. It's always just nice to be able to tell people why you like them. So. Yeah. Um. Yesterday, I met with Concert Choir for the last time this semester, and I set up a standards switcheroonie with them. Mm-hmm. And so we uh, we went through, we had a round robin, we had different stations. They answered, you know, about six or seven students were in a group. They went to the station and they answered some questions, put it on a pad. And one of the questions was, a Concert Choir member should, and this is, you know, should be on time, you know, things like that. And so they filled this out. And now at the beginning of the semester in the spring, I can say, hey, guess what a concert choir member should be? Yeah. And so their own words, the switcheroonie. Yes. Yeah, bring it back to them. So yeah. love that. Yeah, so we're definitely winding down. Holidays are almost here. And I think that after the last couple of years, um, everyone values those breaks ever more than before. <laughs> so it'll yeah. be... Absolutely. And there's there's some of us that are in academia that perhaps are winding down and some of uh, our listeners that are in, um, you know, in had have sacred jobs that are kind of winding up. A yeah, little bit, I think. Yeah. So by the time you hear this, for those of you in church music, um, we really appreciate you and hope that you're relaxing now. Happy January. <laughs> yes, so. that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Matt, you're kind enough to invite our guest today. So would you like to tell our audience about how you know Dominique and why you've brought her here? Yeah. So Dominique Petit and I uh, were in our doctorates together. So we started and ended at exactly the same moments. Um She's one of the few people in the world that I can say I know actually read every word of my dissertation. And I read every word of hers as well. So um, so Dominique is a dear friend and she is a wonderful teacher. Um, so she had over a decade of middle school and high school teaching experience before she came in um, to get her doctorate. And um, her experiences were um, you know, some wonderful programs that won a ton of awards. Um, but also she had some interesting structures. So sometimes like the treble choir was the top ensemble in the school. And so Dominique has lots of ways of re-envisioning how you, uh, how you structure your program to give the most opportunities for all of your students. So that is very cool. 
She also has done research on something that I know like hardly anything about, which is energetics. And we'll make her tell us all a little bit about that too. Ooh, that sounds great. So for a little bit more formal information, Dominique Petit serves the faculty of Ohio University as visiting assistant professor of choral music education prior to her appointment at Ohio while pursuing her doctorate at Louisiana State University. She directed choirs, both mixed and treble ensembles, coached undergraduate conducting and taught music theory for non-majors. Her research interests include rehearsal pedagogy, fostering musicianship and ensemble settings, mentorship across the teaching continuum and utilizing energetics in choral rehearsals. Before beginning her doctoral work, Petit taught middle and high school for 14 years, specializing in women's choir and AP music theory. Her ensembles consistently receive superior ratings for performance and sight singing at district choral adjudications. And her students had high participation in Southern Division and National ACDA Honor Choirs, GMEA Sight Reading Choir, and Georgia All-State Chorus. Dr. Petit has maintained an active performance schedule, including singing in the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra Chorus and the ASO Chamber Chorus, and solo work as a blues and acoustic rock artist in the Atlanta area. She is currently performing with Redshift Choir. Dr. Petit is a member of ACDA, NCCO, NAFME, and CMS. Petit has a doctorate in choral conducting from Louisiana State University, where she studied with John Dixon, Anne-Marie Stanley, and James Bile. She earned a BME and MME in choral music education from Florida State University under Judy Bowers, Kevin Fenton, and Andre Thomas. So Dominique, thanks for joining us and welcome to the Choir Fan. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, so to get to know you a little bit more, Dominique, um, we're gonna ask you a pretty open-ended question to start. Um, okay. So you can tell us your story, um, and your life in choir. So how did you fall in love with choral music? Um, I think it maybe started with elementary school. I um, just loved my elementary music teacher and I would die a thousand deaths before I would ever let that man be mad at me, you know? So I might've gotten trouble in other classes, but I was perfect for Mr. Wilson. And I just thought he was amazing and he played every instrument ever. Um, and so we had to audition to be in choir in sixth grade. That was when sixth grade was still elementary school. Um, and so it just made my whole life that I made choir in sixth grade. Um, and um, so I was super excited. I was a choir kid. Um, and then I made the, um, for moving into seventh grade, that was that was middle school. I made the top choir in the school, which was the the girls choir. Um, we had a separate boys chorus. That was when it was called girls choir and boys choir. Um, and so, um, that was, so I got to sing with the, with the eighth graders and all. And again, I was obsessed with my, with my teacher and I wanted him, you know, to be proud of me. And, um, he, I think it's probably him, my seventh grade, uh, choral director. He showed me that I had something beautiful to offer. Um, and middle school is such a, just a sad time for people sometimes. I really needed that, you know, uh, to know that there was beauty, that I had beauty, that I had something to contribute. And so um, I had always wanted to be a veterinarian. Matt knows that I am an animal person. Um, but that Mr. Carr, my seventh grade choir teacher, um, changed that for me. I decided I wanted to be able to do that for other people, um, to be a choral director. And so from then on, I just, that was my mission. I was just, it was like, 
focused, laser focused on being a choral, uh, choral music educator. So that's how I fell in love with choir. And then I've been just very fortunate to have had lots of opportunities through Allstate Chorus and, and all of that um, and to study with amazing choral directors. So that's that's my choir story. So you 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 started, you knew that you wanted to be a choir director. Was you said seventh grade? Mm-hmm. Seventh was like seventh at the end of seventh grade. I think um, I that was when I changed from veterinary medicine, the idea of it to to choral directing. Wow, that's early. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. When I was in seventh grade, I I still was going to be on Broadway, you know. So. <laughs> So, I mean, that love of music, I think, well, for all of us, middle school is such a formative time. Um, so we talked about that in our interviews too, uh, Dean, where, um, I mean, that's just, people are so volatile at that age. And if they have a really safe space to grow and learn. Um, so middle school directors, we are so thankful for all that you do. Because um, people like you are why we're here. Absolutely. So Dominique, can you tell us a little bit about you know, high school choir, college choir, what those things were like for you. And um, clearly things were going right um, if you stayed with the profession. So what continued to spark your interest in music? Um, so I, I had played piano before and dabbled in violin and stuff, but singing just um, always just worked for me. I felt comfortable with it. I don't like speaking in front of large groups of people, but I could sing in front of a large group of people. Um, I knew it was something that I was good at and I worked really hard at it. You know, um, I didn't keep a calendar because I knew I was always going to be doing something with choir. You know, um, I didn't, that was it. I was just obsessed with it. Um, all state chorus kept me, I think singing in choir. Um, it was, it was, it was just amazing to be able to sing with people from all over the state, um, with great directors you know, um, and doing much, much more challenging repertoire with people who lived and breathed choir like I did. Because um, I was frustrated in high school that not everybody was obsessed with choir like I was. Um, it's like, why are you people holding us back, you know, and so it wasn't that way um, for Allstate. Um, so it was really fulfilling. Um, and that's how I found out about college professors because they would come and Andre Thomas came to Georgia um, and I always wanted to be in his choir and I never was because, you know, he would direct the mixed choir and I was in the women's choir or he would, you know, I just never got to be with him. Uh, but I always wanted to. Um, so Florida State um, was on my radar because of that. Um, and also it wasn't that far. I grew up I grew up in Georgia, so it wasn't that far away. Um, so then I, I got to to go there and, and do choir and I was in women's glee and uh, with Judy Bowers. Um, and University Singers, which was our top mixed group. Um, so, but I, I, I was a women's glee kid also the whole time. Just, I just absorbed so much just from watching Dr. Bowers teach. So what are some of your biggest takeaways, um, both from Dr. Bowers and Dr. Thomas, Dr. Fenton, you know, but those are some big names in the choral world. Um, what are, are some things you learned from them? Um, well, just the importance of of sequencing and rehearsal because you don't have as you know you, you have a very limited amount of time and you have to know the score and i remember um dr fenton would say why do we do score study to know the score you know um just to be um because you you owe it to your singers 
right? To be, to give them every rehearsal is like, should be, is a life-changing experience for somebody, you know? Um, and that just basically that the responsibility of being a good teacher um, is so, so great that um, only, you should only do it if you can't think of anything else you would rather do, you know? Um, that you have to just, you know, mind, body, soul, just devote yourself to, you know, being the best you can for your students um, and having it be a positive experience for them as well. You know, um, it's not just about the performance. It's also about the bonds you build while you're in the rehearsal process. So it was just really holistic, you know, um, just um, the, the idea of social and, and uh, musicianship, you know, um, we were even for the non-audition women's glee, we were learning theory, you know, she was teaching theory, she was teaching sight reading, all of these things. And um, we, we had so much fun in there, you know, and, and had really good performances and um, that it was, but we still managed to have time to check in, like, what are you doing this weekend? And, you know, just, it was, it was just the whole thing. Um, so that um, they just, I walked into every class inspired by, by those, those, those professors. So then you went on to be the teacher, and we know from working with you that you did a lot of inspiring yourself. So can you tell us about your about your time teaching in the middle school and high school? Sure. Um, so I, my first job was a combination of I taught in the middle school in the morning, and I had a travel slash planning slash lunch period when I went to the high school, and that was not really ideal. Um, those of you who know me know I'm not super organized, so that was a little tricky. Um, <laughs> But um, it it was uh, it was it was interesting. I'd never been. It was very rural, so I'd never been in an environment like that. Um, and uh, but I was glad I got to do, you know, from seventh through twelfth grade. I felt really fortunate um, to get to do that. And because I didn't know what I wanted to do, I didn't know if I wanted to be middle school or high school. I liked both, so I didn't have to choose. So that was great. Um, um, I eventually ended up in a middle school program, um, and, uh, then moved to a high school program. I wanted, I wanted to, I thought that if I stayed in middle school too long, I would lose my opportunity to teach high school, that I would get sort of typecast, um, because that happens. And I didn't want to have any doors closed to me. I wanted to be able to do, you know, um, both levels. So, um, I was able to teach AP music theory and I had a guitar class for a little while. Um, so, um, I, I always knew I wanted to go back and get my doctorate. Um, I had assumed I was going to do a PhD in music ed actually. Um, but then from singing with the Atlanta symphony orchestra chorus, I fell in love with large works and I thought, you know, I don't feel prepared to do this. I should probably do conducting, you know, if I want to teach a collegiate choir, I, you know, I was so music ed brained, even though we'd done conducting, you know, a lot of conducting at, at FSU, I, I felt like that was, that was the direction I should go. So, um, so I switched, I switched streams and did uh, choral conducting. Yeah. And I think a lot of our listeners, um, who are, you know, considering going on to graduate school, um, it can be really challenging to decide like what are the merits of a music education degree versus a conducting degree. And they yeah. both have so much to offer, but the courses that you take are surprisingly quite a bit different. So I know my dad still thinks it's the same thing. He's like, it's the same thing. Why are you stressed? And I was like, it is not the same thing. <laughs> 
So yeah, yeah it's, you get to be, but we get to pick, you know, um, you get to pick what you want to do. And, and I think Matt, we were lucky where we went that we could minor in, in, you know, what we wanted. And, and so I minored, it just made sense to minor in music ed because my first passion was there, you know, so I didn't just give up on music ed. I got to be in the classes that the, the PhD students were taking just like you did. Yeah. So that was great. What's strange is that Dominique and I were in the program for the same exact three years, um, taking all the same major classes, and we never ended up in a minor class together. That's nope. so bizarre. But, but you both had the same minor? Yeah. We did. I did mine. I packed all of my music ed classes into my first year and summer because I was thinking um, I wanted to be available to be ABD and hired somewhere, you know, if the opportunity came so i was sort of insane for the first year and then then things calmed down um but matt and you were doing voice lessons and things like that too throughout so you had you know you were doing yeah. some other things yeah so we had a lot of people who did vocal pedagogy as a minor and i wanted to dabble in that world by continuing voice lessons um but yeah i think that we got off track because I did intro to research my first semester and you were in a music ed class. And then we just never had a music ed class together. It's just funny. Um, we had every major course together, but yeah. So, um, so you taught high school and you have mentioned that uh, working with the treble voices became like a really major focus for you. So yeah. now as a non-treble voice, I wonder why you don't love us a little bit more. Just why kidding. not? I, I, why don't I you love, love us? I do. I'm married to a baritone. I love it when he sings. It's oh, great. Well, there you go. You know, yeah. I I do. I love you all. Um, I one of my favorite things actually was so Dominique did a project based uh, choir that was for um, it was a benefit concert, and we had a lot more men in our conducting program than than women. And it was really fun to be with the boys in the front row to support Dominique and, and Esperanza. So um, I, I tease you, but we we love your focus on this. So yeah, tell us more, please. Um, so I, I mean, it, it just sort of, I guess it made a little sense to me. Um, there's so many more uh, treble singers than than tenor and basses um, in a lot of different programs. It's not true everywhere, you know, um, but there is it's very common for there to be a huge discrepancy in numbers of singers and just statistically you know um it makes sense that if you have the same you know uh, percentage of students who are advanced there's going to be more advanced uh treble singers um and so it 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 always was that when i was doing auditions there were just more treble singers that were super advanced and so we just ended up having the treble group was always top um and so uh, it just at all of my schools actually and we one one place where i taught we we co-taught and that was so amazing it was such a great program um and we had our top group was the top tenors and basses and the top sopranos and altos and we would pull them together after school but in terms of the curricular groups it was always a treble choir that was that was um just had enough people that they needed their own group so um it just made sense to me to you know i didn't structure it that way on purpose it was just i would look at the numbers of who i had and what what they were capable of doing um and back then it was still women's choir um and so we you know 
now now things have have changed to be less uh discriminatory you know that we're trying to be more inclusive and so it's called things are called tribal choir but back back when i was teaching you know um it was we were still called women's chorus um so that it just sort of ended up working out that way again i didn't have any bias about it i don't think like on purpose it just the numbers just worked out that way that we could do amazing rep um with a with this select group of of treble singers and i just didn't have enough tenors and basses that were of, of the same level to have a any kind of a balanced choir that way yeah. so can you talk a little bit about what the experience was like for those tenors and basses then if they weren't in the top group but they were still getting plenty of love from this oh so, yeah yeah they so, and, and we encouraged you know you always want tenors and basses and like you have to like commit a homicide to get thrown out of choir if you're a tenor or a bass you know like i need you to sing so um yeah, and we had I did things to try to build them up. We had um, we had a barbershop quintet because there were five of them that wanted to sing, and uh, and so you know they would come out and I love those boys. They were but they were not anywhere near as good as like the girls acapella group that they had started. But those boys would come out and sing, and the whole auditorium would like explode screaming like it was like you know a Taylor Swift concert or something, and they were just so excited. Um, so, I mean, I tried to like heap on praise and encourage them and, um, and all of that. And so tried to do special things. We had, um, I started a before school group at the middle school for boys. And so my, my tenors and basses would come over before school and, you know, I brought donuts and we sang on their concert and they sang on our concert. So I really tried to recruit. Um, so there was a lot of special things, um, for them, but in terms of, the rep that probably except for maybe one or two were capable of doing like they would have held back the you know the 18 sopranos and altos that were ready to sing just anything like peel the paint off the back wall kind of singing and they they could just do anything so um that couldn't have balanced with two you know two like a tenor and a bass so, but I did, I mean, they knew, I, I tried to make sure they knew that I loved them and it wasn't, I didn't, um, we didn't have anything like it, you know, I didn't call it advanced or whatever. They had musical names. We had chanson and cantabile and chorale and, you know, um, it was clear which one was, you know, the hierarchy, but again, they, I tried to, I tried to let all my singers know that they were in, that they were valuable and that their ensemble had their own identity that was important um and in fact sometimes people didn't want to move you know uh, they wanted to stay because they liked the mixed choir because the mixed choir was like the second ended up being the second group and then we had a beginning girls group um so not everybody wanted to be they wanted to stay you know with their friends in the mixed group you know so dominique this is this is really smart i like this topic um and it's at times can fly in the face of traditionally what we think of as maybe would be the group in which you should aspire uh, to enroll in. Um, what I'm thinking about that is, you know, the when I was in high school, the mixed ensemble from the local college came to tour and the, um, the colleges around, they would just bring their mixed ensembles and it was never 
the treble ensemble, even though there could have been advantages, there could have been uh, musical excellence there that was maybe overshadowed in some ways. And so uh, I like this idea. Let's uh, let's uh, spread the treble choir love just a little bit wider there. I like. Yeah, well, it's still true. Like with in, when you go to ACDA conferences, most of the groups, you know, the the majority of the groups are going to be mixed groups. There's fewer, you know, there's like one or two treble choirs, and one of those might be a children's chorus. You know, um, it's sort of like it almost feels like. And I love ACDA, and I know that that ACDA is trying, but it almost feels like, you know, like check the box off. Okay. We had a, you know, a treble group, we had a children's choir. Now we can have, you know, and it just gets filled up, you know, maybe there's a tenor bass ensemble and like they've checked the box and then everybody else seems to be mixed. So, um, that, I mean, I've, and I love mixed groups. I love singing in mixed groups. I don't, I don't think that one is better than the other. I think that they're all really special and the, the, atmosphere of a group of all treble singers is so important and so is the atmosphere that you have when you have an all tenor bass ensemble and it's like my favorite choirs to teach are the treble group and then the tenor bass ensemble I just think I just think it it just seems so special and I love singing in mixed groups you know and and I it's not that I'm against that I just think there's such a special energy in those two you know, you know, uh, single clef kind of groups. I'm thinking about the groups that perform at conferences. And I think I have two reasons that it ends up being the mixed groups a lot. And um, I don't know. One of them I feel like is silly and one is maybe more of a real problem. I don't know. So um, first being that, um, you know, in college choirs, the rosters change all the time from semester to semester. But I think more often that top group in the hierarchy you can commit for the whole year but that's maybe not an expectation in the other groups Mm -hmm. Um, and usually that top hierarchy group is a mixed group so then they can at least plan on who's going to sing at the conference in march when they're planning in august and maybe that's why some of the other groups don't get submitted but i also think there's this sense of um if you are not working with the very top group in the school that you aren't like allowed to submit, or maybe um, yeah. that people don't want to hear your group knowing that it's a developing group. And at least for me, I do not feel that way at all. So I'm curious um, if you have any thoughts on those kinds of, I don't know, assumptions I'm making, I guess. I think you're right. I think, I think it stems from the ensemble hierarchy being fixed that it is the mixed group. In so many schools, there's not a lot of places where that's not the case, you know? Um, and so, yeah, you do submit the top group and I know there can be tension between directors, you know, um, of whose group gets selected or who's going to be, I mean, that's not where it's not the case where I am, but I've heard other people talking about, well, we can't, we can't really submit until the, you know, the, the mixed group gets picked. And I'm like, well, that's ridiculous, you know, but we don't have that here. And in fact, but before I was here, um, our treble group did get selected to sing at OMEA. Um, and they, when I was interviewing here, I kept hearing about how amazing they were, you know, um, that it was sort of assumed I was going to have the treble group because the other, the DCA here has the tenor bass group. And like, why is he going to give up his choir, you know, kind of idea. And I'm, you know, they all knew I love treble choir. So it wasn't, it was sort of kind of, I think, assumed that I would have the treble group. So everybody was telling me how great they were and all of that. So we don't have that here. I mean, 
the mixed group is the top group um, here. It's, uh, it's considered a major ensemble. We have a thing with, you have to be in a major ensemble every semester and not every ensemble counts as a major ensemble. The only major ensembles for us that are choral are mixed, which, you know, I haven't been here long enough to figure out all of that, um, but, but it was the trouble group that got to go to OMEA, you know, and everybody applauds that, you know, so, and it doesn't take away from the mixed group. They do different rep, you know, our mixed group, we, they, we just had our, our winter concert over the weekend and they were fabulous, you know, um, so there's, there's not a thought of, oh, well, we can't be good because we're not the top group. So that at least is good, you know, that each group is supported and valued for, you know, what they're doing. So I have a question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot just a bit. Here we Great. go. So uh, you just mentioned that, you know, each uh, tenor bass ensemble and a treble ensemble, they each have their own energies. And so um, perhaps there might be pedagogical reasons to do certain things with this group and certain things to do that with that group. So is there something that you would do more of or you would do with a treble ensemble that you wouldn't do with a tenor bass ensemble? Or in what ways, knowing the differences between those ensembles allows you to pedagogically shift between them I think I connect really differently just like on an interpersonal level um um I think as a woman in a trouble ensemble where you know probably most of the singers identify as women not everyone but you know we've had a lot of shared experiences um so I think I have a strong connection with treble groups because of that is it there is something for me this is just my experience that is safer if you know if we are if we are in a trouble group safer not like physically safer but just like safer to um make a mistake and safer to you know if we're not worried about um you know people misunderstanding us you know like that we it's a little safer so i think um in some ways, at least for me, I feel like I can take more risks with with them. Um, in terms of, I don't know about pedagogically, um, that like I wouldn't do more sight reading with one or I wouldn't pick, you know, a specific kind of repertoire for a one, you know, I mean, like I'm not gonna pick all six, eight and flowers and boys and stuff for my treble group. I mean, thank goodness, I hope those days are gone. Um, you know, and I'm not going to just do drinking songs and sea shanties, you know, with my with my tenor basis. So I wouldn't, you know, I think that all of all of our choirs deserve to have a variety of repertoire by a variety of composers that um, access a variety of different emotions um, and affects and all of that. So I just think I think just the interpersonal connection is is a little bit different. And I think as a woman directing a tenor bass ensemble. Um, I think it is an extraordinary feeling to be accepted, you know, um, and that to build, to get trust between, um, but, you know, between me and them is, I mean, it's, it's just overwhelming, you know, to be, just to, to work with 
with that that kind of group and have them accept me as you know that I have something to offer and that we can work together and we're collaborative yeah. uh, Matt, you're like you're, you met you were nodding yeah so as a man who works with a trouble ensemble um I do feel accepted by them and that uh, what I have to say what for them has value but I also feel like, and there's maybe some healthiness to this as like a bit of an outsider that they are creating their own community. And I'm a facilitator and observer, but like there's this fellowship that is natural between them. Uh, does this make any sense? I don't know. Have you felt that with tenor based group? Yeah. I mean, I cause <laughs> so it's, it's hard cause to like disassociate gender sometimes, but you know, and like gender stereotypes, but I mean, having a high school group of, you know, 20 boys, I'm like worried about somebody accidentally breaking somebody's arm. They're so like hugging each other and, you know, like, it's like a physical thing. <laughs> like, um, not, you know, and it's just, everybody's so loud and energized and all of that. And I am not that energy, you know, I am a, let's all hang out and, um, you know, talk, <laughs> but they're like physical. And again, it's not every group is like that, you know, and I don't, you know, but that's, it's so, yeah, I would be observing them a lot going, that is not, that is just not my experience, you know, but I'm enjoying it, you know, cause they're having this great time uh, together, you know, and I don't want to mess that up by like saying, oh no, let's all be, you know, how I need you to be. So yeah, it is, you know, and I think, I like when they can create their own sense of community without me, no matter what the ensemble is. But man, I agree that like, if you are, you know, coming from a, from a different ex experience that they seem to do that more. And that is, it's beautiful. It's nice to have the opportunity to observe it happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So speaking of the energy in the room, um, should we talk about what energetics are? Cause oh. I have no idea what this was until I read Dominique's dissertation. I was going to say, you do now. You read it. You you, mm -hmm. uh, you helped proofread it for me. Yeah. So energetics is super cool. And I would not have known about it, except I just happened to take my, um, one of my theory classes was with someone who did his dissertation on it, you know. Um, so that was kind of, that was kind of cool that depending on which theory professor you had, you know, they would, you would have a totally different experience in your, in your, um, in your class. So um, my professor studied energetics. So I learned about it. I was like, this is really cool. So um, it's basically that we experience music and we um, make truth about music based on our physical um, experience in the world. So things like gravity, inertia, magnetism, um, affect the way we experience music and that we we think metaphorically about things so metaphorically we can think about music in terms of these these forces so for instance um you know if you have a melodic line that has an ascending leap quite often it's followed by a stepwise descent right so um that would be gravity um then magnetism um, if I play a major scale and stop on the leading tone, it's like pulling you to the tonic, you know, um, or five, seven chord and I don't resolve it. That's, that's magnetism. There's rhythmic magnetism, which is why like 
syncopation and hemiola are so cool because it's not you know we're being pulled to the downbeat downbeat meaning like gravity downbeat um this is a super fast explanation i'm not sure if this is going to be useful because it's really fast but um so th those kind of ideas and inertia that patterns continue and we all see that when when our students are sight reading and the melodic direction changes and they don't right because they're so you know it's been it's been going up and now all of a sudden it, it descends and they keep you know going up or or something like that. And so um, the cool thing is, it's not just like some theory that somebody was like, oh, this could work. They actually, um, um, there, there are experiments where um, computers can be programmed with algorithms to um, um, complete melodies, like you give it a beginning, melodic beginning, and you program it to follow these rules of energetic, not rules, but like these qualities of energetics of gravity and all of that. And then you ask the average person on the street, um, and they come up with the same co melodic completions. Like we're just used to as as following these ideas of energetics. It's that was a really fast explanation, but um, it just it's a really cool way to look at music to to see what's going on and find musical meaning too, which is really because I'm like so it's a secondary dominant and like why do I like why what does it mean that this is you know some predominant like area of the piece but like you can kind of figure out more meaning to what's going on with music why it's doing things through yeah. looking energetically and i think what's cool about energetics is that um that it can be explained like to a high school student who has very little theory background but they're mm -hmm. still learning theory and it's specific yeah. and yeah so yeah, and I think it, it has implications for gesture too. And that was sort of part of my my dissertation was, you know, like just the gestures you're using with your with your ensemble. Um, you can you can if you're thinking about it, if you use that as one lens, not the only lens, but as one lens to to look at a piece of music, it can really inform what you do. So that way your your performers are bringing out what's in the music inherently. Excellent. Yeah, love it. Well, hey, should we move on to some rapid fire questions? Yeah, I was just right before we get to that. So Dominique, if someone wanted to read about this, what's the name of your dissertation? Oh, okay. Well, it's um, James Collenbach's Antigone, a conductor's guide. Antigone is an oratorio written by James Collenbach, who is in Chicago. Um, and it's an oratorio that he wrote for Lorelei Ensemble, which is a, a women's ensemble that's like, everybody should know them, they're so, so I'm obsessed with them. Um, and um, a cello quartet, which is super cool. And so it tells the story of, of Antigone. Um, it's a, it's a, a Greek tragedy, um, but uh, a story of Antigone interpolated with the uh, text by Sophie Scholl, who I had no idea who she was, but she was um, in Germany. She's considered one of the most influential women. Um, um, she was she was killed by the Nazis. Um, she had a student resistance um, organization called the White Rose that she was part of, and they uh, they were. Um, so these these two different stories are kind of interwoven, and it's sometimes you don't know where Antigone stops and Zophie begins. It's just so seamless. It's amazing. It's an amazing piece. So, well, that's yeah. great. So, listeners, if you're looking for more 
information on energetics, you can start with Dominique's dissertation. Thanks. Yeah, it can be found in the LSU Digital Commons. <laughs> so, yes. um, it was fun. It's, we both had pieces with cello quartets, which is not very common. You know, it should be. It should be a thing. Yeah. So someday when we do these pieces on a concert together, we can hire the same quartet. So it'll there be you go. Fun. There you go. Yeah. So Dominique, we have some quick questions for you. Rapid fire. You don't have to think very hard about any of this. Um, okay. There are a couple that you might, but uh, feel free uh, to just share your thoughts. So first off, do you have a favorite flavor of ice cream? If it's really high quality vanilla, otherwise then moderately high quality chocolate. Um, what is your favorite guilty pleasure TV show? I don't watch TV so I don't, I don't have one. I used to like, I liked, um, what is it? This is us. I don't know if that's a guilty pleasure, but I, I did watch that. Yeah. Did you watch the pandemic season? I, that's where I stopped because whatever, I don't remember whatever service I had. I, yeah, they, they should have been masks at some point. Right. Didn't they have masks? Yeah, they did a really good job with it, actually. Like, yeah, it didn't was... feel forced that they had um, some issues there. So, yeah. Um, if you could pick between being able to fly and being able to be invisible, which would you pick oh, and invisible. why? Invisible, absolutely. Oh, well, because it would be freeing, you know, to, like, just observe people without being seen uh and they could they would just be like their regular selves i don't mean like in a stalker kind of way but like they could be their regular selves yeah invisible absolutely and i wouldn't have to worry about like what i was wearing or whatever i could just be invisible this makes me wonder in the lsu coral grad office did you ever just like hide in that back row and observe we would have had no idea you were there you would not have known you would not have known you would probably heard me sneezing though because it was so dusty back there but Fair. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm going to assume that at some point she was invisible back there and I had no idea. I see. Sorry, I didn't put some mute button here. So I see the next one is tacos or hamburgers. I understand that you're vegetarian. So mm -hmm. maybe you have a take on this tacos or hamburgers. Doesn't need to be, I guess, ham. Oh, no, no, it would be. Yeah. Veggie burger all the way. A beet burger. I like beet burgers. Nice. Okay, there we go. Now, if you had to pick one favorite coral piece, what would it be? Oh, I don't know. Um, that's not fair. Um, okay, Rachmaninoff, Bogorizidevo. Nice choice. That is a nice choice. Yeah. yeah. That's a hard one. So, what is one composer that you feel needs more attention? This could be somebody that folks perhaps don't know or know them in a certain way and they need to look at them another way. What do you think? Um, I, I just, well, I, Matt knows that I'm obsessed with Rosephany Powell, um, but I think a lot of people know her work. Um, I hope a lot of people know her work. Um, and then Abby, Abby Bettinas, I don't know, like I, <laughs> I think people know her work now too, wouldn't you say? I think that 
people with doctorates in choral conducting know her work maybe okay well then Abby, but, yeah everybody should know Rosephany Powell my my students make fun of me all the time they're like oh we're talking about her again I'm like we can't talk about Dr. Powell enough so I love I love her um but then yeah Abby Bettinas I just yeah I really love her work um Moira Smiley is really is really amazing um I don't know I love Randall Stroop too I but I think everybody knows him so it's hard to <laughs> you know um yeah then next one is what is your favorite memory associated with choral music um i think that when i was in ninth grade we did one of those carnegie hall you know pay your money and go sing things and it was with Eve ely which was <laughs> i had no idea who he was because i was in ninth grade and he was incredible. Um, so I think just the moment that we started actually singing together was was probably my favorite choral moment. That and then walking into Carnegie Hall. Like we hadn't even made a sound. We just like walked in. I just remember touching the stage. I was like, so many people have been here, you know. Um, so that that was that's probably those two, but both associated with with him. Awesome. All right. So what projects are you working on right now that you're excited about? Well, I just finished everything because we just had our last bit of concerts uh, now. Um, in the spring, we're going to be doing music um, with Indian influence. And um, I'm excited about that. Um, I am. I studied Indian classical music in college and was in a fusion group. And my husband is a tabla player. And so he's free, um, so that's great. Uh, so we're going to be doing a, a music um, like either from India or. And I actually I arranged a piece for my choir that I wrote um, that is not really a choral kind of piece. It was my singer songwriter. I stand with my guitar, um, and so I thought about it this summer. I made a, a harmony part to it and wrote a violin part. And I'm really excited actually about the violin part. Um, so, and I've never done this before. So we'll see how that goes. And he'll play, my husband will play tabla. Um, my students are really excited. So um, I feel like I have a lot to offer them, you know, in terms of information. My husband's from India, you know, um, so, and like I said, as a professional uh, uh, classically trained instrumentalist. So I think um, that's something cool that we can do that that I can offer them that I, you know, um, have the resources for that. So I'm really excited about that. That'll be in, that'll be in the spring. That sounds really cool. I'm hoping so. Yeah. Yeah. I always say, teach what you know and teach what you're passionate about. And the students are going to have a wonderful time learning. So yeah, they're excited. And they're, we started working on, it's just called sevens because I don't name things really well. It's in seven, eight, but, um, and so they were really, we started at this, this fall and I'd over-programmed. I was like, I had to cut a couple of pieces because we just, I just got super excited. I was like, why don't we do this in the spring? So they'd already worked on it a little bit um, and they, they liked it. I don't know whether they liked it because it was for them or if they actually liked it, I'm not sure. Um, but uh, so it's, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be good. They were, they were really pumped about it when I was like, we're just going to do an Indian music concert. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. 
Well, it was so great to talk with you today, Dominique. Uh, really appreciated getting to know you a little better, though I know you so well, but you to do. You hear do. these parts of, of your thoughts and to hear your insights. And I know that I'll be keeping this in mind um, when we head back into our next semester of teaching. And yeah, to try to explain things energetically, I think will be really fun for me. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks, Matt. So Dominique, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? So probably email is best. So my email is just my last name, petite, P-E-T-I-T-E, at ohio.edu. Wonderful. Well, Dominique, we thank you. Our audience thanks you. And we're happy to call you a part of the choir fam. Thanks, Dean. I'm Dean Lethe. I'm Matthew Myers. And you've been listening to the Choir Fam podcast. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked the show, please rate and review. If you didn't like the show, please let us know how we can better serve our choir fam. You can follow our Instagram page at choirfampod or email us at choirfampodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. And thanks again for being part of the choir fam. <laughs>